Welcome back to another AAP podcast. Yes, I'm talking to you, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and other podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, Lead Portfolio Manager of the AAP Portfolio at thestreet.com. Be sure to check it out at aap.thestreet.com. It's no secret that artificial intelligence, better known as AI, has been a big market driver so far in 2023. All we need to do is look at some of the shares that you know have been driving the market, i.e. the Magnificent Seven, whether it's Alphabet slash Google, NVIDIA, Microsoft, or some others. And we know that there's a lot of hopium surrounding AI and what it could mean uh, for disruptive uh, technology, jobs, um, and a whole host of other things. So we really wanted to try and wrap our heads around some of the more concrete productivity tools that are out there that are powered by AI, which is why I sat down recently with RJ Asile, who's the Chief Product Officer at Toggle.ai. And Toggle's a fintech platform that uses AI to analyze billions of data points to help institutional and individual investors make smarter decisions by helping them cut through the mountains of data out there to find true insights. You can hear a lot about this. Um, the key here is that today, AI, is it a productivity tool? 100%. Um, are there going to be advances in AI? There sure are. And I shared with RJ my own view that in many ways, AI today is a lot like the internet was back in 1998. We knew we were on the cusp of something. Did we have any idea how disruptive it would be and how many different uses we would have in our daily lives like we do today? Back then, the answer was simply was no. And I think that promise is what gives folks a lot of interest and excitement about AI. Now, I will say that we do need to make sure that AI is not like some of the other um, you know, uh, technology fads that we saw, AR, VR, so far anyway, uh, blockchain, metaverse, and all these other things. I do think that the productivity tools uh, that are out there, including some of the ones that we'll talk about with Toggle, is more of what we'll call the real deal when it comes to AI. But again, we're still in the early innings. Now, sit back, listeners and get ready for my conversation with RJ Asile, Chief Product Officer at Toggle AI. You know, there's a lot of talk going on in the, in the economy, in the investment community about artificial intelligence, AI. It's been a big driver of the Magnificent Seven uh, year to date. Um, you know, folks are looking for concrete applications, trying to assess where we see real solutions. They're wondering how companies are going to monetize AI. Um, and they're looking for real world examples rather than just a lot of hopium that is out there. That's why I'm very excited today to talk to RJ Asile over at Toggle AI. He's the chief product officer. But more importantly, from time to time, he too is a fellow talking head. So I imagine that RJ is going to have some interesting anecdotes to share with us uh, with that, RJ, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the podcast. And thank you for having me, Chris. Happy to do it. Like like I said at the intro, um, you know, this topic of AI, it's, you know, if we were to go back a year ago, just a year ago, we probably wouldn't be hearing quite as much about AI. And it really seemed to came, come into the forefront, um, you know, February, March of this year. We can blame NVIDIA if you want, you know where they really came out and really painted a very promising uh, picture for that. And then all of a sudden, uh, what Microsoft has done, Google has done, you know, or increasingly trying to do with BARD, um, you know, there, there's just a lot of excitement, enthusiasm around AI and the promise. I, I personally have likened it to the internet back in 1998 where back then did we know all the things that we would be doing via the internet? Just like we're having this conversation today, we did not. Uh, and I would put forth that I think AI has a lot of disruptive potential, most likely in ways we haven't even thought about yet. Uh, but I'm not here to steal your thunder, RJ. I, I wanna hear what you think about AI. Um, 
and talk to me a little bit about Toggle as well, because for our listeners, I, I think it's going to be very interesting because of the end markets that Toggle serves. Of course. And uh, again, thank you for having me, Chris. What I would say, actually, echoing something you just noted, uh, the old Wall Street Journal tech writer uh, in in their sort of farewell piece, the last thing that they, they write. Are, are, are you talking about Uncle Walt Mossberg? I am, yes. Uh, so he he wrote a piece about how technology changes in the ways that we really just don't anticipate. If you're looking at something like Blade Runner, right, you have flying cars and you have cyborgs and you have all these things, and yet they still use payphones, right? <laughs> but one of the most, right, one of the most tra transformational technologies we've had over the last few decades is really the cell phone, right, and the advent of, mm -hmm, of certain mm -hmm, internet mm -hmm. connectivity and connectivity overall. So I think you're absolutely right that that there are many things that we haven't we haven't thought of in any way, shape, or form of, of how they might be applied. Now, um, you know, I think you, you were asking very specifically about, about AI, how it's applied to investing, sort of, you know, what we do. And, and you know, I would say your statement of, of it coming to the fore in the last year, these technologies have existed for a long time. And actually, language models have existed for a number of years. And it started with this technology called a, a transformer. Um, now, those language models for a long time were good at verbalizing things. So, for instance, at Toggle, right, we you can think of what we do almost like a, a, a quantitative assistant that never sleeps. And then you come in in the morning and mm -hmm. it tells you, hey, here's what you should be looking at and here's why. Right. For most investors, right, they're not quantitative analysts. They don't think or speak in statistical distributions right, or probabilities right. or things like that. But what you could do is you could have machines and AI and machine learning systems triage vast amounts of data, distill it down into the things that really matter, and then verbalize to all of us, hey, McDonald's is in your watch list. Chipotle had earnings yesterday and they mm -hmm. blew it out of the park. And typically, you know, five out of the last seven times we've seen that McDonald's has been up over the next three weeks, right? Verbalizing in a sort of one way communication from some seed piece of information to something an end user can understand. Information. So the main change, I would say, you know, that that advent and release of chat gpt which sort of took the world by storm is that suddenly these systems could be a little bit more two-way so even gpt3 wasn't quite good enough <laughs> where where you know you you would utilize it for certain tasks but you know uh, chat gpt really became that that first interface where suddenly the light bulb goes off and you sort of have this aha moment of of what those possibilities kind of look like Right. Is, is, is that why you think that back and forth, that two-way communication, as you called it, that hadn't been around before, was, was that, I, I hate to use this, but it sounds like that was like the tipping point, at, at least for the average person to, you know, kind of dial back into AI. Is that, is that fair to say? I, I think so, because it made it, it made it really accessible, right? And it made it immediate. And you know, I think to that point, a lot of a lot of people's experiences with AI or these these sort of systems, right, have often been in recommendations, right? You go into Netflix and it says, mm -hmm. "Hey, Chris, because you watched Love Island, right? Here are three here are three other reality TV shows that you've watched." Or, you know, for the I, record, I, for the record, never watched Love Island, but but I <laughs> but I I understand what you're saying, but 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 it's important though because. You know, the, the distinction I think you're making is that AI has been around as a kind of under the cover tool that has been giving us, you know, prompts, information without us really you, knowing that. Whereas ChatGPT, to your point, you had to go to ChatGPT and engage with it in a two-way communication to get the information you're looking for. Right. So imagine, right, you come into Netflix and instead of it being, 
hey, here are the recommendations based off of all the stuff you've ever watched, right? And you say, oh, you know what, tonight, my wife and I would love to watch a comedy that was, you know, sometime between 1980 and, you know, in 2005, mm -hmm. and here are some actors that we really like, right? And it triages this list and comes back with a list. And you could say, oh, actually, you know what? I would prefer something slightly more modern, you know, forget what I told you before, I want slight something slightly more modern, right? And it becomes this two-way conversation, right? right? A lot of right. those interfaces we had dealt with in AI were really one way. And, right. and I really do think that that tipping point came in, came in being able to, to sort of iterate on that initial or refine based off of my current preferences versus what it had previously learned about me. So Chris.ai would say when Harry met Sally is the answer to your query. I mean, I don't blame you. <laughs> so, so talk to me about Toggle and how it kind of came about um, really, you know, leveraging the, the development efforts of what, but then of all the different applications that are out there, why the finance slash investing space? Sure. So at Toggle AI, a lot of us have background in professional money management. I started my career at Alliance Bernstein managing uh, a, a few sort of macro portfolios, especially on the fixed income side. Um, several of the other co-founders uh, had similar backgrounds on the hedge fund side, you know, working at places like Duquesne Capital and Brevin Howard and Fortress. And one of the, the core problems, I think, in, in a lot of investment management, and it manifests not just on macro investing, but also in a lot of fundamental investing, is that you're inundated with an extraordinary amount of data. And for a lot of history, right, even going through, let's say, the, the early mid 90s, right, having access to data was a real edge. Mm -hmm, and then suddenly mm -hmm. the amount of data continued to explode where you're sort of inundated and you have this cognitive overload where you don't really know where should I spend my time. Yeah, you're you're using some big words for what we call analysis paralysis. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, right. And, and so you have all of this stuff. And on the macro side, it's because you have economic releases in a handful of countries, central banks making decisions, you name it. And then even on the fundamental side, let's say I analyze restaurants and suddenly you come to me and you tell me, hey, I have location data on 150 million people within the United States every second of every day. Theoretically, I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I go to use it and I'm like, wait, I need to map their locations to McDonald's yeah. locations or Chipotle, right? Like the, the synthesis of information, right? Having information is one thing, but you still have to synthesize it in order to make decisions. It, you know, I love this because, um, you know, I, I joke around a little bit, but you're hitting on a big problem, right? Which is delineating information from potential noise. Yes. You know, yes. And, and, and so and, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. All I was going to say is, is, you know, how we decided to start to tackle that problem is it was a problem that we had. And if you think about a lot of that, uh, you know, specialization, if you will, right, <laughs> what are machines good at? What are humans good at? Humans are really good at judgment in decision making mm -hmm. and machines are really good at doing a lot of computation very quickly and tirelessly. And so we approach that initial problem as saying, what if a machine would analyze all of the data in the world every day, not just saying, okay, here's what's interesting, but actually then taking those further steps, right? The steps that we used to take in making dashboards, trying to, to come up with trade ideas to say, what should I pay attention to and why? So actually tying some of those data releases, earnings, fundamentals, oh, this stock's at a resistance level, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. to actual price action. And the interesting thing here is that is that it sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, levels the playing field in that a lot of this work is things that that traders who you know spend 20, 30 years on a desk 
they intuitive they intuitively know and understand oh i remember in 1997 when uh you know, <laughs> in 1997 when this announcement happened and then they you know and and there was the surprise you know the, the surprise by the fed that this was the price action and so i have this corollary in my mind right. now suddenly investors who weren't in markets at that time or might have focused on something else can all sort of have access to that same element of information sure, sure, and, and sure. understanding of the, the 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 history and how it might impact behavior now because you know history might not repeat itself but it typically rhymes right you, you yeah, can get yeah, a sense yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i liken it to uh the little bumper guards for kids on bowling alleys you know it kind of it, it doesn't really go too far as askew um from from what you would hope to see the um yes. that's interesting that's interesting so how so you guys were all traders portfolio managers yes doesn't sound like maybe i'm wrong that you guys had the uh technical skills right to build this so how, how do you go from a bunch of you know investors to creating toggle uh so we we had bits and pieces, right? Okay. And yeah. what I what I would say is is there is certainly a big difference between building something for yourself to use and building mm -hmm. something for other people to use. Mm -hmm. And um, I think understanding in depth a lot of these frameworks allowed us to articulate it and then build it with you know a, a world class sort of tech team into something that other people other people could consume and and utilize uh, through you know a sort of overall platform. And this was you know some of our initial investors like Stan Druckenmiller, right? This was sort of spurred spurred by him where he said, look, the framework is awesome, makes a ton of sense, but you need to figure out a way that other people can utilize this because it goes beyond just you. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's you know it's something that has to be intuitive um easy to figure out and you know having developed the system you know you, it's really tough sometimes to put yourself in someone else's shoes because you're like well you just do this and of course you get that and that's not always the case and i i, I think you know uh, you might have a better appreciation uh now for um what apple does in terms of ui design and you know ease of use well i would say actually um Absolutely. And uh, I used to work with an engineer at my last firm who once said to me, simple is not easy. And I know it it really resonates because it's it's quite difficult. Uh, it's quite difficult to have something that's easily interpretable, easy to use, um, though with the state of most financial software, it's quite a bit easier to get <laughs> to make it look prettier. Well, I think it a lot better than, than many of the uh, established paradigms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 key is having it elegant. Yes. Right. Right. Um, so when I go in, if I were to log into Toggle, because I haven't, um, what what am I going to see? What array of information can I see? And, and I'm asking this because you have a diverse client base that spans, you know, your old stomping ground, hedge funds, right, all the way down to financial advisors, some of which can be very savvy and, you know, some less so, let's say. So sure. how, how, how do you keep it simple? What I would say is, is uh, on that, the first question from all parties is kind of the same which is what do I need to care about and why, right? And the hedge fund manager, typically where those paths start to diverge is that they will often ask many more follow-up questions, right? Oh, what is the risk profile? When was that downside risk? Uh, you know, oh, if I, if I remove recessionary periods, how does that change its analysis, right? There's a lot more iteration, but that initial element of, of, what do I need to care about is the same for both of them. So when you come in, there are, there are sort of leading indicators. So we analyze about 40,000 assets across the globe in the United States, 5,000 plus. And those insights that are being generated every day telling you, you know, is the, 
is it likely a, a bullish impulse or a bearish impulse on any of these stocks? We've aggregated in such a way that um, it gives you a really good sort of bottoms up indicator on the market of, of overall the breadth of the market is it likely to go up or down for, from mm -hmm. here. And all the statistical work that we've done seems to show that it, it leads the market, uh, you know, about about uh, a week to two weeks uh, overall. So that's one piece of, of what you see as as this element of, you know, on balance, are things looking better over the next couple of weeks or worse right, over the next right. couple of weeks? Um, on the right hand side, you'll see uh, what we refer to as my toggle. So, you know, you set up a watch list or something like that. It triages for you every day. What do I need to look at? Right. Oh, there's a new insight in Microsoft. Right. If you click into Microsoft, what you'll then see and this, again, happens for every single asset crypto, single names, macroeconomics, currencies. It's kind of like cliff notes, right? Mm -hmm. If you were if you were to come in, right? And even, you know, not to talk ill about other platforms, but you go into somewhere no. like a FactSet, CapIQ, Yahoo Finance, right? You go into any of those financial pages and it's a wall of numbers, right? It's, it's just a <laughs> wall of numbers, right? This giant table that's being shown to you. And imagine someone had gone through and actually just like highlighted a few of those rows or a few of those numbers. So, you know, it's, it's interesting as a fundamental guy, fundamental analyst and one who leans on thematics. I, I remember when I was getting started having to learn where everything was situated in a 10K. <laughs> right? Yes. Because, because they're a treasure trove of information. But there's no class that I took that I know of that says, okay, if you're looking for this information on geographic sales or profits or breakdown by segments, blah, 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 this is the note you go to, right? Or if you want to look at, um, you know, the, the timing and debt schedule and payoffs and, the, you know, all this other stuff, there's nothing like that. So you really have to, you know, become familiar right, with where all that is, so it becomes useful information. It's similar to what you're talking about here because you're right, when you log into FactSet or even if you're lucky enough to have access to a Bloomberg terminal, there's a tremendous amount that you, you can simply just like stare at the screen and be lost. And so I think to, to what you were saying, Chris, they have taken your exercise of needing to know where things are. Right, right. And they've structured it. So now you have it all in one place. It's nicely structured. You can see quarter over quarter, year over year. But they, you still have to take that next step to be like, what looks interesting here? What's anomalous? What should I be paying attention to? What looks weird? And so, yeah. So, so, so to bring it back to what you're saying about Netflix, where it will push movies to me, this is not pushing stock recommendations or asset recommendations. This is just information. It's information that has been synthesized in such a way mm -hmm. where it'll say, hey, Chris, you were interested in Ver Verizon, right? Here's what you need to know. It looks like analysts are revising their estimates for mm -hmm. next quarter's earnings upward, right? It looks like very few analysts have sell recommendations on the stock. Right. Oh, the 50 day just crossed above the 200 day. And you said you're a fundamental analyst. Yeah, maybe yeah. you discard, maybe you discard that. But, you know, these it's all factual information that's been synthesized in such a way that you get this sort of bullet pointed list of if I'm coming in to understand this stock, like what do I need to know? Right. Like what, right. what, what are the important things that I need to know? And then if we look at the adoption of ETFs, which has been explosive. Um, and if you look at some of the demographic data, uh, Gen Z, for example, you know, not necessarily wanting to pick individual stocks, would rather have a representative basket or model for targeted exposure uh, or an ETF. Does Toggle deal with those assets as well? We do. Yeah, we do deal with ETFs. And, you know, I think that same framework holds. You can even do a look through to the holdings where you might say, oh, hey, 
you know, what does that look like as you, you know, as you, as you um, start to to pull that through? If I look through to the underliers, you know, do things look cheap? Do they look expensive? What are the right. exposures? And, you know, I think one of the elements of of AI and um, utilization of some of these transformer-based models, these language models, is actually in extracting some of this information and in ways that might have been relatively difficult before. Right? We're all familiar with the you know geeks sector, so the traditional <laughs> sectors that everyone thinks I, about, right? I have I have a bone to pick with the geek sectors, okay? <laughs> because and this is a whole separate topic, and I'm I'm not gonna you know bog down our conversation, RJ. I I will just say that um, there are shortcomings, and leave it at that. Yes. Well, and so on this, right, when you when you bring up things like funds and language models, some of these applications of AI, right, being able to actually triage this combination of structured data, what are the holdings and what do those holdings do, and the unstructured data, things like fund prospectuses and fact sheets, right? Mm -hmm. If you could, as you know, you're talking about Gen Z, and you say, oh, hey, you know, I would really love I would really love exposure to energy, but I don't want, you know, thematically, like I don't want exposure to oil. I want exposure to energy via renewables right. and battery technologies and these other things, right? If you could ask that in natural language and have it come back with, hey, here's a list of suitable assets, right? This is just like we were talking about that Netflix iteration on what movie you want to watch tonight, right? These are the things that that are now a lot more possible, provided you you know you structure the data in the right ways and you you give it access to the right data. But you can start to enable right a lot more of of that sort of customization, if you will, either direct indexing, which I know was a, a, a sort of common theme for a while, or even just how do I discover what's out there, right? Do I yeah, go? Yeah. And so I think how? that element of discovery is really one of the biggest elements of this, right, is that 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 element of discovery, and we hear it not just from you know end end users, but also those on platforms, right? If you are at one of these big wirehouses, you're a you know you're a financial advisor, you have a set of funds that you can theoretically invest in or put in your clients' portfolios, right? The discoverability is still really poor, right? If they're asking you for something. How do you know what funds exist within your universe that might match those exposures? It, it's so I'm actually um, I actually wrote something today where um, over the weekend, uh, Steve Ells, the founder of Chipotle, is um, doing a new restaurant. It's going to be plant based meats, but he's using robotics. Now, <clears throat> I have been uh, watching the development in California with the fast food minimum wage going to twenty dollars. You look at the uh, difficulty of um, attracting workers. You look at the uh, oh, real estate footprint that a lot of fast food restaurants have that are too big. You know, I know there are AI solutions for drive-through, but I'm looking for something on uh, robotics automation, particularly for the restaurant industry. So I may come back to you, RJ, with a little side query just to see what we have to cover. <laughs> because no, 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 and and this th this is the reason why because I did find through um, you know manual labor uh, a number of privately held companies that are doing robotics for restaurants, but I could not find any particular companies publicly traded with meaningful exposure to that. But I'm sure there's something out there. I just need to find it. To your point about discovery. Yes. And, you know, I think one of the. We've made. Tremendous leaps and bounds, both over you know, the last several years and then seemingly at an increasingly faster pace. Like You look at some of the releases that OpenAI had last week mm -hmm. and the implications of them. We're still wrapping our, our, our heads around, but they are truly sort of mind mind blowing in in many ways um i think we are very much at the at the beginning of of a lot of this transformation and you know these use cases are well we're good enough to answer you know those those first couple of, of productivity questions now i think mm -hmm. some of the frustration 
that people have when utilizing these systems is that it only gets you partway, right? You you sort of get stuck. And I like to think of it, it's kind of like having a kind of like having a bad intern, right? Where you have to be very specific <laughs> in language and a little bit skeptical, right? You kind of have to be a little bit skeptical of what they bring you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it, it, anytime you have someone new who's working um, with you, whether it's a team member or a uh, an employee, right? There's a little bit of a learning curve on both ends, right? That the that individual for the job, you learning what their capabilities truly are, so you can uh, build your trust in what they can do, and you realize what how you can, sorry, you you have to figure out how you improve those skills so you can rely on them more. And I think that's where we are now, right? So we we know we can get some information. Yes. Right. And and I'm not saying this about toggle. I'm saying this just about, you know, chat GBT and some others. You know, if if you say, oh, chat GBT, you know, write my biography, um, you know, it's been known to fill in some things that may or may not be correct. Right. So which that, that kind of leads me to my next question, because you're dealing with at toggle a tremendous amount of data. Right. How do you you know, verify the data, make sure you're not getting bad data or or uh, bringing noise into the model that, that could skew things? Of course. Um, it's a great question and one that I think we, we approach very thoughtfully, which is having come from backgrounds where all of us were in, in sort of regulated positions in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form, right? Even before regulations exist, what are they likely to include? Oh, I want to make sure what is the lineage of the, of the data, right? What, where did it come from? What transformations have happened to it? What were the numbers that were produced? What was the output of that AI system or language model, right? How do you verify that what it told you is the sum total of all the information that it was given? Right. Right. And there are a number of techniques that that, that you can use to sort of mitigate what you're describing is, is often referred to as hallucination, right? So, and I think some of the, the issues and one of the reasons I describe it as, as sort of like a bad intern that you have to be skeptical of is, is I think similarly, right? There can be there can be this element of hubris with, with your intern or like, here's the answer, like, let's do this, right? And you're like, well, oh, pump the brakes for a second. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's similar where what's hard is that, is that because there's very little auditability in many of these systems, especially something like ChatGPT, and it speaks very confidently, you sort of take its word as root. And instead, you have to be a, you know, a little bit more, more skeptical. Now, to your question of how do you how do you make sure that it's not, you know, sort of telling you things that are lies or mixing up information, right. um, finance is a really interesting domain because you have very known structured things like tickers. However, as you know, tickers can have collisions, right? You can have the ticker CMG in the US and the ticker CMG in Canada. Or, you know, a classic is Berkshire, right? You're talking about Berkshire Hathaway. Are you talking about the A share? Are you talking about the B share? And so there's a, 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 something called named entity recognition. So how do you take the words that you input and then try and resolve it to something that's specific, right? This is the way that, so CMG in Canada is a computer company, CMG in the US is Chipotle, right? In being able to say, which one of these did you you mean, right? Let's say we say Chipotle, right? You're now, you're not gonna mix up Maybe the language model tells you about avocados and computer chips all in one <laughs> sentence, right? And so, and so, there are ways that you can approach this to try and say, okay, what are what is the domain we're talking about specifically? Can I resolve to some known entity, right? And then go from there. Obviously, this becomes a little bit hairier when you have things like portfolios or watch lists. You have ambiguity, and then you know, I think one of the things people have focused on in these language models is the language itself. But people in finance, like we still love charts. We still love clicking things. We like to iterate. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, elements of this are, are really then not just how do you get the language output, but also how do you get these language interfaces to control tools? 
And this, I think, is actually one of the most exciting elements of it. Not to ramble on, but no, no, go ahead. Something that we, uh, something that we experimented with and ended up releasing, we called the sort of chart commander. And it's almost the moment, like going from the yellow pages to an iPhone, right? Or you know, having an address book to going to an iPhone. Like I, I don't know your phone number, right? I say, hey, call Chris, mm-hmm. and it spits out your phone number and calls you. Imagine the same thing for charting, right? We think in events. We don't think in discrete dates. Hey, can you plot Microsoft since Satya Nadella became CEO, right? Oh, hey, I want to know what happened to the S&P. What happened to the S&P six months after the last time they cut rates, right? Any of these things are are questions we often ask ourselves Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that if you think about the process, it's really inefficient. Oh, I need to go to Wikipedia. I need to find the dates. I need to pull up the time series. I need to zoom. I need to scroll. I need to try and, right? And you're sort of ballparking, you're eyeballing all of these things. And instead, you can just ask in natural language. And now suddenly, these interfaces respond. Now, the output isn't language, right? It's not describing to you what the chart looks like, right? But, But you can sort of coerce some of these language models to actually start to allow you to ask the questions, much like you might ask the guy sitting sure. next to you on the desk. Sure, sure. Interesting. So what, so there's chart command, I think you said, correct? Yeah, sure. We, we've, you know, we've been calling it chart commander. No, no, that's okay. That's all right. What what other tools have you guys released? Because, you know, what I, what I like about that is, um, you know, you said earlier you you could do something, go on to facts that you get a wall of numbers. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there that these tools, particularly Chart Command, it, it really crystallizes what they're trying to find and gives their, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? So <laughs> what what other, you know, tools have you guys released or can you share about things you might be working on? Of course, yeah. Um, so one of the, with the users that we released this to, one of the things we noticed within some of the chat interfaces we had given them is that the scenario analysis, which is something you can do in our point and click interface, where instead of the AI running the analysis for you automatically, Chris, you might come in and say, hey, I want to know how does ExxonMobil do when oil crosses above $100 a barrel, mm-hmm. right? A question like that. So it seems that, that that's the flip side of the coin with, with plotting, where you, you sort of go back and forth between these scenario analysis type questions and the plots. And so that's something we've, we've been working on releasing. We have, we have versions of it in, in development, and it, it works quite well. And the next step of that is really to allow you to say, and you know, if you're a financial advisor, this could be for your client's portfolio, if you're a PM for your own portfolio, maybe you say, hey, when oil crosses above 100, right? What does that mean for my portfolio? Right? You can see the exposures, right? Oh, here's the stock that does really well, or the mutual fund that does really well. Here's the one that does really poorly. Oh, let me look at that one that does really poorly. Okay, what are the sectors that do really well in that environment or really poorly? Maybe I can think about replacing it, right? And you can be a lot more proactive in some of these scenario analysis and some of those questions. And it's one of those things where it's it's Right? It's very natural, and it's something that you know. If you have a quant on your desk, you probably ask them questions like this. Yeah, yeah, intern, yeah. Right? You're like, okay, I don't care. It's going to take them three or four days. But if you could just ask in natural language, right? You don't have to learn a new interface. And a lot of people know how to ask questions, right? What they don't know how to do is how to translate that question into the. I need to log into Bloomberg. I need to download the data. I need to put it into Python. I need to write a Python script. I need to look at the output of the Python script, right? It's, it's right. Whether you do it manually in Excel, whether you do it in Python, right? It's quite an onerous process. It's not that you can't do it. It's that it's, you know, there are a lot of steps involved and there's very high friction. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I agree with that. I, I, but I'm thinking though about your, your example, right? What happens to Exxon stock when oil goes over a hundred, you know, there's a lot of other factors in the background. You know, what's going on, you know, on the geopolitical sense? Where are we on the economy? You know, China stimulating its, is China stimulating its economy? Is it not, is it, you know, there, there's a lot of things. So it's um, the, the, the concern that I, I would have 
is that, you know, perhaps it get, you know, you, well, you need to be very careful about the questions you ask because you could get, you know, if you ask a very simple question, you could get a very simple answer that may not be really what you're getting to or what you want to get to. Yes. What I would say is I think a lot of the workflows we see today are very um, involve a lot of back and forth and quite high latency. For instance, what we see with financial advisors is they might be on a call with a client, right? Mm -hmm. And increasingly they have more and more clients to serve. The, the pool of advisors is shrinking overall and more people sort of want advice, especially with a lot of the wealth transfer um, as sort of baby boomers, uh, you know, that wealth transfer happens. And that as someone asks a question in, in a phone call, right, they typically don't have a sort of immediate answer. And right. so you have to go back, they email a centralized team, that team that has to find compliance approved PDFs or <laughs> run the analysis, takes them a couple days, they send it back to that financial advisor. The financial advisor then has to verbalize it, attach it in an email, send it to you. By the time you get it back, you don't care about the question anymore. Like it, do it doesn't matter. And all this time and effort has, has, has sort of happened to, to go into it. So while, while I understand that, that concern of, of, um, of, you know, you ask a bad question, right? You get bad answers. I think that's the case now to be, to begin with and right. in many right in, in many regards right being able to have even a, a, a sort of quick answer right it, some of those elements of client service i think are vastly improved by these systems even if you might get a little bit of a naive answer from some of it now where i think these language these systems that include language models become really powerful and this is something we're working with um, several of the platforms on is really combining that structured and unstructured data together. So now let's say you ask that question of, hey, how does my portfolio do? Or, you know, how does client XYZ's portfolio do when oil crosses above 100? It runs that analysis, it shows you the exposures, and it pulls the documents from mm -hmm. that repository of the strategists, of the energy desk, right? And now suddenly you have both the unstructured commentary, you have recent news, you have the compliance approved bullet points and the attachment and you have the analysis, right? It's It it now is suddenly providing you a much fuller picture where it's not just, hey, here's the portfolio exposures, right? Which right. You know, is, it like it may, may be missing some of those elements, but those bullet points might bring up, hey, we're concerned about, we're concerned about Chinese growth, we're concerned about stimulus, the possibility of war in Taiwan, whatever those things might be, which can, uh, enable those elements of, of flavor. And then further, you can imagine, and this is something that we've, we've done in, in some of these workflows, you have a draft email button, right? You mm -hmm. click that and now suddenly the language model takes that statistical information, it takes those passages of text, and now gives you at least a first draft of that email to send back to someone right there. What I would say is we're still at that element of like, these are real productivity tools. right? Right. You the agency is still with you. And I think to your one of those elements you were mentioning of, well, what about this? What about this? I think, right. Maybe at some point in the future, we're going to have this all knowing financial AI that can take all of these elements into account. But for right now, right. The decision making in the agency is still with the human. Yeah, yeah. Right? The, yeah, yeah. the machine is really good at finding data, triaging data, synthesizing it and then allowing you to figure out what to do with it. Okay. So if, if I could put this in the parlance that everybody likes to, baseball innings, right? It sure. sounds like we're we're in like the and I'm second, maybe third inning. That's, I, that seems fair. That's what I was that's what was going through my mind. <laughs> like so, you know, but cuz what you're talking about where it gives you, uh, and I can only refer to it as this, the backup detail, um, that would be tremendous because, you know, there's, uh, you know, simple answers can be simple, but if you can sift through the, the backing for that and get the context, that that's a lot, that's a more, um, 
layered answer, right? That you can fine tune your thinking. That that to me is extremely interesting. Yeah, uh, and it's you know I think that this is really where it's going. Where a lot of these workflows, for better or worse, and mm -hmm. primarily worse, are very fragmented. Like forget even just well at their core, you typically have four or five different logins, right? <laughs> you do you have a login to your research portal, you have a login to the financial data, you have a login to your portfolio. You have a login to the order management system, right? And yeah. and you can now start to unify these things into a single interface to a certain extent, right? Where it's you know those tendrils or you know those 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 sort of octopus legs are you know sort of yeah, going yeah. a little bit everywhere and touching each of these things a little bit, where you now have one place to sort of centrally access all of these different disparate data. Uh, it's almost like this will test your uh, hedge fund experience, like Trillion. Yes. <laughs> and for the listener, Trillion was a uh, a messaging platform that would integrate various uh, instant messaging uh, programs from AOL Instant Messenger, which a lot of people back in the day in the hedge fund world used, but um, Yahoo Messenger and you know several others, let's say. Um, so you could, you know, talk to everybody in one platform. That that that's akin to what you're saying. Um, the the question I have to ask then, and just because it, it jumps out at me, is cybersecurity has got to be a big issue for you guys. So I think you you have to be you always have to be you know a healthy amount of paranoid. I, I think you you know you always want to make sure that these these systems are very well gated you know i think especially in the realm of of language models we've seen how they can be coerced to give you know uh, talk about any number of horrible horrible subjects right oh pretend like you're my grandmother giving me a bedtime story about <laughs> x y and z right and, and and so you know i think again there are very thoughtful approaches to to sort of how you <laughs> how you think about these things um one of the elements just purely on the language model side we've thought about is and have implemented is sort of a gating model, right? Where you say, okay, is this in the realm of finance or not? If it's not, don't, don't answer the question, right? And you can actually use much, much more simplistic models than language models to to do some of, you know, to do some of that initial triage to, to figure out whether or not you know, there's something malicious happening or not before you even allow it to that that next to that next phase all right and then just one other question you know there there's been some stuff in the press about how um some of these ai models when folks want to create presentations or do different things that they need to be mindful that the ai tool could suck up their data and incorporate it into its model um, you know, depending on what the data is, that might be fine, but if it's uh, proprietary data or, you know, something that should not be shared, you need to be very mindful and careful. How do you guys protect against that? Or is that not the issue for you? That's more for the, the user. So it's something that, that is very important to us. Um, each platform you know, and especially depending on what you're using on the different platforms, typically have different terms and conditions, and you, know, you really have to read the fine print. I would, I would definitely encourage everyone to read the fine print of 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 every element of those. Um, OpenAI in their last release last week, um, and their sort of dev day, they you know they they definitely made it a point to emphasize very much elements of of exactly this with a lot of their enterprise solutions. Um, so, you know, I'd say uh, always have a healthy dose of skepticism, make sure to read, make sure to read the fine print. Um, I think, you know, where it's explicitly stated, you have, you know, a lot of these things are built on trust. I think you have to trust that when OpenAI says we're not training, you know, if you use X API, we're not training on your data. I think, you know, you have to take that in good faith if you don't. I think you're end up you're going to end up be falling behind because you're just not going to be able to develop anything. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, RJ, you've been I, I'm looking at the clock. We've been chatting for quite some time, 
Um, before we get out of here, though, uh, I, I want to turn you know the microphone over to you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about regarding AI toggle or anything else you think is germane to the conversation? What 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 have we missed? I mean, I think uh, as you mentioned, we're we're really we're really in the early innings of of what these technologies are capable of. I think. We're going to see both tremendous adoption. I think we'll certainly, we'll, we will certainly see a few things blow up, but I think we'll see tremendous adoption. And um, and really, you know, just to emphasize a little bit of a theme that that's been through our conversation, which is machines are really good at triaging information. Humans are really good at judgment. And at this point, right, that I would say, think about these systems as really productivity tools to augment your decision making, right? Make sure you have a healthy dose of skepticism with the outputs, right? Make sure you're 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 really trusting the partners. Where is the data coming from? What was done to the data? What does that look like? But you know, the agency is still with you. Now that might change over time, but I think it 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 probably will. But you know, I think your your job is safe for the for the meantime, and you don't need to uh, <laughs> you, you don't need to worry in the in the immediate that it's it's going away. Well, I feel much better now. Thank you. The um no, I you know I I agree with you that you know, and again, I, I go back to my analogy from the internet that you know when I first logged on, I was working at Solomon Brothers, and I looked on Netscape. And I saw, I don't know, maybe it was the gap, I can't remember. And I was like, wow, look at those clothes. Oh, I can't buy them. I can't even change size. I can't do anything. It was a glorified catalog in the very beginning. And now look where we are. So yes. I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, we're, we're in the early stage. And I think it's gonna get much, much better, much more exciting. Um, but again, you know, the the key, and I think you hit upon it, RJ, is, um, you know, you need to know what you're looking for, right? Yes. Have an idea of what it is. These tools will help you, but always, always separate the noise from the information. Absolutely. All right. So in my opening comments, I said a year ago, we probably wouldn't have been talking about AI. So RJ, I'm going to reserve the right to call you back in 12 months to see where we are on AI and to get an update on where Toggle is and its tools. I look forward to it. Awesome. All right, RJ. Well, thank you so much. Um, that's the end of our conversation. And uh, folks, we'll be back next week with another podcast.